following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Hoare, Wisconsin. It was preached on Good Friday, April 15, 2022, on the basis of Isaiah chapters 52 and 53. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. So do you think you would have wanted to be there? You may be aware there's actually a 19th century African-American spiritual that asks the question, were you there when they crucified my Lord? An interesting question to consider in its own right, especially in light of the fact that at least on the surface, the answer to that question seems to be pretty obvious. But that's not the question I asked. Not were you there, but would you have wanted to be there? If you've ever watched a cinematic recreation of the crucifixion of Jesus, say Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, you've maybe felt in your heart a little bit of tension as you watched. On the one hand, you probably thought to yourself that seeing such a a gruesome and horrific mode of execution in person, up close and personally, would have been a very difficult thing, a very painful thing to watch. But maybe at the same time, you've also felt that had you been there in person to see it, maybe somehow it would mean more to you. Maybe it would have made a more lasting impression. Maybe if you had been there, it would have guaranteed that you would never take it for granted or downplay it ever again. So let me ask again. Do you think you would have wanted to be there? As you think about that question this evening, realize that there is much more at stake than whether or not the death of Jesus makes you feel a certain way. The goal of this evening's service and the goal of this evening's sermon is not so much to produce some sort of intense emotional reaction in you. Not that that would necessarily be a bad thing. It's just not the most important thing. You see, there's a a significance. There's a point. There's a purpose and a result that came from Jesus' death on the cross that each and every one of us needs to know and believe. You and I need more than simply to know the basic facts of what happened on Good Friday. Lots of people know Even a lot of non-Christians know and are willing to admit what the Bible says happened on this day. In the same way, you and I need much more than to simply feel a certain way about what happened on this day. Instead, what you and I need most is to first of all see, but then second of all, embrace. In fact, to hold on to for dear life what it all meant and what it still means for us. We need to know what makes Good Friday so good. And the good news for us this evening is that in order for us to see that, we didn't have to be there. How do I know that? Well, because we have in front of us this evening what is universally recognized as the clearest and most comprehensive, most straightforward explanation of the significance of Jesus' death in the entire Bible. And it wasn't written by someone who was there. These aren't the words of an eyewitness. 
They aren't even the words of some investigative journalist who pieced together all of the evidence after the fact and wrote an article about it. No, instead, these words were written by the prophet Isaiah who lived a full 750 years before any of it ever happened. And if he could see what makes Good Friday so good, then through his words, so can we. As we look at these verses from Isaiah this evening, we're going to see that it's a good thing we weren't there on Good Friday. So what makes Good Friday so good? Well, the prophet Isaiah saw it. He wants us to see it too. In fact, the very first word out of his pen was just that. See, look, pay attention right here. Well, what exactly are we supposed to pay attention to? The song that followed that very first word was actually quite lengthy. There's quite a bit of material here. What exactly are we supposed to focus on? Well, thankfully, Isaiah makes it very clear what the most important part is. You see, in Hebrew poetry, very often someone would do that by putting the most important part right in the middle. And as you look at this rather lengthy song from the book of Isaiah, the verse that is right in the middle is Isaiah 53, verse 5. That verse is right in the middle of the three-verse section formed by verses 4, 5, and 6. And in fact, that three-verse section is right in the middle of the five sections that make up this entire song. And in fact, this entire song is right in the middle of a nine-chapter section in the book of Isaiah. And in fact, that nine-chapter section is right in the middle of the 27 chapters that make up the entire second half of his book. In other words, that one verse, 53 verse 5, is in the middle of the middle of the middle of the middle. Isaiah could not possibly be any clearer. He's saying, right here, pay attention. This is what you need to know. Here's what it says. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. The significance of that verse is in the teeny tiny details. It's easy for us to see where our Savior Jesus is in that verse. Jesus is in the pronouns he, him, and his. It's also easy for us to see where we are in this verse. We are in the pronouns we, us, and ours. But the significant thing about that verse is that all of those pronouns are in the wrong spot. The one who is innocent, Jesus, is the one being pierced and crushed and wounded and punished. Meanwhile, the ones who are guilty, we who have a mile-high pile of iniquities and transgressions, we receive peace and healing. In fact, not only are those pronouns in all the wrong spots, those pronouns should be completely switched around. We deserve the punishment. Jesus deserves the peace. That's what Isaiah wants us to see is going on in these verses. He wants us to see that there is a substitution taking place. In fact, 
What Isaiah wants us to see is so important that it's one of those biblical truths that all kinds of fancy theological terms are invented to describe. Terms like vicarious atonement and penal substitution. Everything that you and I deserve for our sins is instead given to Jesus. And everything that Jesus rightly deserves for his innocence and perfection is offered freely as a gift to us. That's the substitution that Isaiah wants us to see. That's what gives us the assurance that when Jesus' body was placed in the tomb on Good Friday, all guilt of all time, including ours, was buried there with him. That's the thing that makes Good Friday so good. And the good news is you didn't have to be there in order to see it. In fact, maybe it's a good thing that we weren't there. That's how I might actually summarize everything else that comes in Isaiah's song. Everything else that surrounds this one verse that is in the middle of the middle of the middle of the middle. It describes the reactions of the people who would eventually be there. First, the non-Jews, the Gentiles, including the movers and shakers of the day, the people with power and influence. Isaiah says that they would be appalled by what they saw. I read one writer who said that that verb appalled actually refers to the kind of shaking and convulsing someone might do before they're about to throw up. That's the kind of reaction really any crucifixion, maybe Jesus' crucifixion in particular, would have produced. But then Isaiah also sees the reaction of the Jews, Jesus' own people. They actually took it a step further. Not only would they have been appalled by a crucifixion, but they knew that verse from the Old Testament where God had said, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a pole. So in their minds, not only was Jesus being punished, crucified, put to death by his executioners, in their minds, Jesus was being punished by God. The sight of a man dying on a cross sent such a powerful message that it would have been almost impossible for the people who were there to see it, to also see what Isaiah saw, to see the substitution going on that made all of it so good. In fact, a crucifixion sends such a powerful message that that same inability to see can continue down to our day. You can read all kinds of people who talk about the significance of Jesus' death on the cross who completely miss it. On the one hand, those people who sort of dismiss this idea of vicarious atonement or penal substitution. I mean, the idea that in order to forgive the world of its sin, God had to somehow punish someone else in our place. What's that about? Why couldn't he have just forgiven us if he really wanted to? Or there are those who see that these verses so clearly teach that idea of substitution that they then conclude that these verses must be talking about someone other than Jesus even though the New Testament repeatedly makes it clear that that's exactly who they're talking about. And yet before we get too smug about the inability of others to see the significance that Isaiah saw, it'd be good for us to do some soul-searching of our own 
this Good Friday. Maybe it's the, the tendency we might have to think that sure, awful sins like murder or child abuse or human trafficking, those are the types of sins that deserve a punishment as severe and gruesome as this. But come on, not the little sins that I commit. Or maybe it's our tendency to think that when we gather here in God's house week in and week out, do we really need to talk about Jesus' death and our sin that caused it every single week? Wouldn't it be nice if we spent a little bit more time talking about how we can victoriously triumph over sin instead of repeatedly revisiting all of our failures? Or maybe it's how so often we can live in denial about the fact that just as God accomplished his greatest and biggest act in the life of Jesus, hidden underneath this vomit-inducing weakness and shame and defeat, and that as a result, the great big things that he's going to do in our life will probably look an awful lot the same. It's not just the people who were there that had a hard time seeing what Isaiah saw. Even all these years later, even with the advantage of perfect 2020 hindsight, we can often miss it too. Thankfully, there's something else in all of those verses that surround that one that's in the middle of the middle of the middle of the middle. Yes, the Gentiles were going to miss it. Yes, the Jews were going to miss it too. But Isaiah also mentions the behavior of the two most important characters of all. There's first of all the one who is speaking these words, God the Father. And then there's the one about whom the words are spoken, the servant, God the Son. Now if ever there were two who would have been tempted, who would have had every reason in fact to not see the events of Good Friday as good, it would have been those two. Wait, so you're telling me that for murderers and child abusers and human traffickers and for gossip spreaders and comfort worshipers and approval seekers and temper tantrum throwers, all of the punishment that they so rightly deserve is instead going to be put on God's Son And God the Father is just going to have to sit there and watch it take place. God the Son is going to have to just hang there and endure it. Out of all the people who were there, you would think, maybe the two of them would have said, hold on, let's let's pump the brakes. In fact, let's pull the plug. Instead, Isaiah sees how those two characters would respond. He describes the Father who came up with this whole plan in the first place. The events of Good Friday are not good because somehow God figured out how to make the best of a bad situation. The events of Good Friday are good because everything went exactly according to plan. And Isaiah also sees a son, Jesus Christ, who was not just willing to go along with this plan. This lamb went uncomplaining forth not a peep of protest, not a word of whining, not a single syllable of objection. 
Yes, it is tragic that everyone else failed to see it. It is tragic that even all these years later, sometimes we can fail to see it. But thank God, the two most important characters who were there, in fact, the only characters that really mattered, were on exactly the same page. A father who devised this plan in eternity and a son who acted wisely and carried it out successfully, the father proving that by raising him from the dead on the third day, all of that is what gives us our certainty that the penalty has been paid, the world's guilt has been buried. Good Friday is good. And we don't even need to see that it's good in order for it to be good. Good Friday will always be good whether we always see it or not. Of course, it is a matter of life and death that we see it. Which is why it is so good that even though you weren't there, you are here. Here in this place and hearing these words, here is not the only place where you will be offered a solution for your guilt. There's plenty of solutions being offered out there too. The world has all kinds of plans for how you can take that nagging voice inside your head that tells you that you have not been what you are supposed to be and make that nagging voice go away. Plans to do this or do that. Plans to stand for this or support that. Plans to admit this or apologize for that. I'm here to tell you, none of it will work. None of it will be good enough. Where should we turn? Isaiah couldn't be any clearer. A father who devised a plan from eternity. A son who willingly carried it out on a Friday afternoon that is indeed good. Where should we look? Right in the middle of the middle of the middle. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. Amen.